0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 22 tonight. Uh, We are continuing in our series. We're going through the book of Proverbs. It's called The Way of Wisdom. The book of Proverbs is poetic in its composition, but it's it's different than a lot of other poetry. The aim of the book is not so much flowery or pretty language uh, that appeals more to our emotions. It's very much a practical guide for navigating life with insight and understanding. The greatest commandment that we've been given as followers of Jesus is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as Brother Andrew pointed out a couple weeks ago, Proverbs helps us to have the wisdom to know how to walk out that commandment practically in our day-to-day lives. Tonight, we're going to read verses 16 through 22, uh, but we will have to stick our toe backwards into the verses that brother Adam preached on last week uh, for some uh, context, Uh, not because he didn't cover it well enough, he did a great job, but uh, we'll need a little bit of help from there to end up where we need to go, Uh, and as we're working out these last six verses of the chapter. So I hope that you have turned to Proverbs chapter 2, and as I said, we will start together in verse 16. Here we go. To deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. That leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of, right, of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. Praise God for his word. Amen. So let's start with verse 16 and figure out what strange woman means, okay? That doesn't mean someone that's just off a little bit uh, or not necessarily of the personality or temperament that you would find attractive. Strange woman, this wording has within it the concept of a foreigner, okay? not so much in, in a country type way, but basically it's like someone that's from outside of the circle of people that you should be having contact with, okay? A strange woman, a, a kind of foreign, uh, outside, maybe maybe a little bit of that there's danger in there, okay? So he then goes on to give a specific example uh, from this broader category of an adulterous woman who uh, flatters with her words, okay? So big idea, he's talking about strange woman, and then you know he's saying? An adulteress is, is kind of one of the examples of that. So the first thing I think we should just pause for a minute and address is the potential for some to recoil at a woman being used as an example for this broader principle being taught, okay? The broader principle is watch your circle and mind your relational boundaries and associations. And we'll more on that in a moment. But some would see this as the Bible being negative towards women. You know, some might say, well, what about, what about adulterous men? Why do we pick women, right? And that's fair. I think it's worth us taking a minute to explain that, and I think we should be able to talk about that. So do you guys remember I said just a few minutes ago that Proverbs is poetic? It's important to keep in mind as you're reading Proverbs that that's true, and also it's real important to keep the context in view, okay? One poetic element of Proverbs is to compare things that are similar or contrast things that are different. So in one verse, it'll it'll say this, and then it'll say another thing, and those are kind of keying off each other. So if you just read one in isolation, it'd be like, hmm, what's going on there? But if you read the one above it, it, it makes sense because it's kind of, it's mirroring one another, you know, kind of like poetry does, okay? And, and, and what is in that is the understanding that the opposite thing is true or the, the contrasting thing is true, even if the proverb doesn't spell that out for you. Okay, Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, Let me call your attention to the four verses prior to where we picked up today. Okay, so we started in verse 16 today. I'm going to read starting from verse 12 through 15. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Okay, so here's the point. Here's why I did that. The question we need to ask is, are men the only ones who speak perverse things or walk in the way of darkness or rejoice in the perversity of evil? Is that what it's saying? Is it saying men are only do this wicked stuff and then we're going to switch over and talk about the only way that women do wicked stuff. Is that what it's doing? It's definitely not. Both, right? There are, there are women who say perverse stuff and walk in the darkness and rejoice in perversity. There are men who are adulterous the point is, it's a poem, and the poem would be much less poetic if it had to tell you everything, you know, da, 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 right? It's like it's assumed, it's implied, the contrast is there. Okay? So it's important to know that as you read Proverbs, right? Because if you just pop in and say, oh, okay, let me have a look here. Uh, verse 16, what? Why is it only talking about adulterous women? Men do do that too. Well, yes. Just read, read a few more verses before and you'll see what the author's doing, okay? Important context. Okay. So uh, the author is using contrasting gender examples with the inference there built in that it applies to both. And in many cases, it depends on which gender you are, right? The proverb here is addressed to a son. If you go back to the very first verse, it says, my son. All right. So uh, and that's kind of why it plays out the way it does in this one. But the specific examples are of how wisdom guards against the enticement of the wicked. And it's about how that applies both ways. It's talking about wisdom guarding you against the enticement of the wicked. Okay? So, does the Bible offer anything in the way of that? Well, yes. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 5, verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, he's instructing him, teaching him how to be a leader among God's people and how just to be a faithful Christian. And he says this, he says, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. Okay? Remember what we're talking about. This, you know, the first several verses, a lot of what brother Adam covered last week, it's, it's encouraging you towards seeking wisdom. It's, it's worth more than silver and, and press for it. And here's what's going to happen god's going to guard you from these types of things so we're we're now knee deep into these types of things right so brother adam hit the first half which talks about men of perverse speech and this kind of stuff and this week it gets into the adulterous woman so the point is how you you gotta you gotta pay attention to your associations you gotta pay attention that that the idea of a strange woman kind of like why 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 are you even having that conversation why are you even in the proximity of somebody that could be enticing you that way is is kind of what's built into this you guys with me okay one person's with me everyone else where are you at okay good awesome that's important that we're all you know here and like moving in the same direction okay good so what did paul say he said older women as mothers younger women as sisters in all purity okay so i'm gonna tell you right now this is some grade a true blue biblical wisdom right here this is how you avoid the man who speaks perverse things or the woman who flatters with her words okay like we said uh, you know the instruction to Timothy is to a man, but we need to remember that doesn't mean the opposite is not true for women. Okay, so it's inferred in that just because Paul's talking to Timothy he says treat younger women as sisters, older women as mothers, the instruction is implied: women treat older women as fathers, younger. Did I say women? That's not right. Older men as fathers, younger men as brothers. You with me? That's Timothy's instruction, or that's Paul's instruction to Timothy. Okay, what does that mean? It means if you are not married to someone and they are not a blood relative. Paul tells us to train our eyes to see them and our minds to think of them as family. Okay? Why does that matter? The second half of this proverb is focusing on wisdom guarding you from the enticement towards sexual sin and the destruction that comes with it. That is what the proverb's talking about. If you're already uncomfortable with the, the, the subject matter and how many times I've said the word sex or sexual thus far, it's gonna get worse. Because this is where the Proverbs going, okay? I'm sorry. Not really. This is real stuff. And that's what Proverbs is talking about, real stuff, okay? So here we are. Amen. Uh, and here's here's the thing. You, you don't have to like this advice for it to be true and helpful. Amen. Here's But here's, so now I'm going to get real practical. <laughs> what does that mean? Treat your, okay, you're talking about sexual sin and stuff. You're talking about, Timoth- you know, Paul telling Timothy to treat, Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and I I don't know if I'm connecting all these dots. Well, here, let me connect them for you. If your mom or sister start flirting with you, hopefully things would get weird and awkward real quick instead of you actually being tempted. Right? I hope so. (laughs) So Paul's telling Timothy, as we apply the wisdom of the Scriptures and, and have our eyes and our minds conformed into the image of Christ, as we think about the reality that humanity is meant to be in the service of God of course not all are called sons and daughters of God because that is done by faith through Christ but the reality is in in, in one sense in in a human sense uh, we can see each other as family we all come down from the same progeny and all of that so and, and whether or not you are closely related or not the point is it's it's a mentality thing okay it's it's a it's a viewpoint that will help you when the man of perverse speech, ladies, um, starts talking to you, you know, about stuff he shouldn't be talking to you about. Or men, when the woman with the flattering tongue, you know, starts talking about how great you look in that tight tee you got on, or whatever it is. Right? That's if if that's your sister starts talking about that's like, um, no, we're not, let's talk about something else. Right? Amen. Or you're not going to take it that way. It'll affect even the way you take it, right? Or what you do with it. What you your response, And that's really what's most important. You can't control what everyone else is going to do, but you can control the appetites of your own heart, your own perspective. Um, with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. That's not going to be just you doing that by grit and self-determination. That just gets us discouraged. Okay. So, you, you've heard the principle... I know some of you don't like it. People will often say, okay, I hear what you're saying. I know that the Bible says that, but, oh, man, um, that's tough. So, But here, heres I, I thought of something. Maybe you're wrong. I'm really hoping you're wrong. Um, what about when you're pursuing marriage, right? When do, you, when do you quit treating the person that you're exploring the potential of maybe marrying them, when do you quit treating them like a brother or sister and, and start treating them like a husband or a wife? <laughs> I have an answer for you. Do you have a notepad? This is, this is deep. Get it ready. You ready to write it down? You start treating them like a husband or wife, not a brother or sister, when you marry them. Woo, I thought there'd be thunderous applause there. I'm going <laughs> to applaud myself, because woo, that was a good point. Thank you, Pastor Vince, for telling us the truth. You are welcome. I know some of you still don't like it. Let me explain. And again, <laughs> all right, I'm just going to explain. You, <laughs> you, <laughs> oh, we're having fun. Thank you, Proverbs. You, here's what's true. You don't have to believe this right now, but it is true. So I'm okay with standing in stark opposition to what you believe or what you like at this moment. You can find out all you need to know, and you can have all the godly and healthy interaction you need to in a courtship or biblical dating relationship while still regarding each other as a brother and sister. Absolutely, until you make a covenant that changes that relationship to that of a husband and wife. Everything you need to know to figure out whether, and, and you know, I know there's, there's variation in how people think about this. I'm, gonna, I'm fine with saying, I, I hope to some degree what you're doing, if you're exploring the possibility of marriage, is trying to determine God's will in the matter. I know people get freaked out about you know is there the one and all that and I don't have time to get in all that debate with you if you want to debate about it we can talk about it later because it's fun but my point is either way you're in an exploration process of figuring out if you're going to marry this person everything you need to know to come to that decision in a quality way can be done while regarding each other treating each other handling one another like a brother and sister as a matter of fact, I will contend that you will find out more of what you actually need to know to make a quality decision about that if you handle one another as a brother and sister. You know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so I'll, let me spell it out for you. So here's what happens a bunch of times is people get, they start with a, a physical attraction spark that leads to a bunch of physical intimacy. Their connection point is primarily based upon that. They don't need much more of a connection point because how many of you all know, Physical intimacy will, can carry you for a while. It's exciting for a while. It's enough for a while. And some people ride that pony all the way to the altar. A couple months later, figure out, oh, snap. There's a bunch of other stuff about this person that I didn't wait to figure out or even care about because we were making out a lot and that was fun. And or other stuff, right? Okay. I just kept it PG-13. I don't know how old everyone is in here. All right. Um, let me see here. Do I have anything else you're not going to like? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I, you don't have to like it. And here, I know many in our culture would think what I'm saying is crazy, right? Because there, there's a common ideology, and it's almost become the, the, the wisdom of the day is. You're a fool if you don't move in and do everything husbands and wives should do for a long time to make sure it all works out well before you commit. And we're going to come to an impasse. We're not the first generation. Every generation has had to decide, does human culture or God know better how this stuff works? That's basically what it comes down to. Uh, I, I don't, you know, you so oh, that's an oversimplification. I don't think so. Really, like whose word, whose report are you going to believe? God seems to be a pretty solid authority on it, having been the creator of everything, you know, including humans and marriage and intimacy and all that, right? Amen. Okay. This is fun. Uh, in the past, I've expanded on examples of what this looks like. I've done that in other sermons and series, um, but I'm just going to say for the sake of time, and, and today is not totally about that, I'll give you the broad way forward to figuring it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say to you, seek the Holy Spirit's help to answer this question honestly when you're trying to figure out what it looks like to treat people as either brother sister, mother father that you're not married to. Would this be weird or wrong with my brother or sister or mother or father and then proceed accordingly with anybody that's the opposite sex unless you have married that person? Okay? So, I, then, then the discussion will ensue about, well, I don't know if this would be weird or if that would be weird. You and the Holy Spirit gotta figure that out, okay? Because I can't run around with a whistle and police you all the time and I don't want to. The Holy Ghost will do that. But that's, the right question is, if, if this was my mother or my father or my brother or my sister, how would I conduct myself in this situation with this person? Unless you're married to them. Then all the gates are up and yay, right? But until then, the gates are down. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> if you've married that person, it is safe to enter into the physically intimate and sexual territory that according to God is only good and safe and beneficial within the context of covenant marriage, okay? Amen. All right, that brings us to verses uh, 18 and 19. Let's read them again just to refresh our memory. Because after that, I'm sure some of you are reeling. That leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house... Sorry, I'm supposed to be in 18... For her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. Well, that should have got your attention. <laughs> uh, that seems kind of drastic, doesn't it? And, and just to, we need to say this real quick. There's, there's a little bit of poetic hyperbole or exaggeration here as well. We know that sexual immorality is not an unforgivable sin, when he's saying that none return, he's, he's pointing out that how frequently, large percentage, of, when, when people head down this path specifically towards destruction, they don't ever turn around. Oftentimes when, when these hooks get hooked in, um, man, it drags people all the way where they didn't want to go, okay? That's that's what he's saying here. You can't, again, you gotta, you gotta let, pro, you gotta do this with all of the scriptures. All the scriptures interpret the scriptures, right? And so, when it says that none return, well, that doesn't mean that if you sin sexually somehow, then you know, you're never going to find again the path of life. Because if that was true, we might as well hang it up, right? Because <laughs> everybody's done. No, I've never sinned sexually. You're a liar. Okay. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, <laughs> I'm talking to everybody up in here, right? Amen. Amen including myself. All right. But the question, the question, I think we need to be able to anticipate and maybe some of you are asking it, but definitely those around us that aren't serving Jesus are real excited about what Jesus has to say. They would ask this question. Why is such a big deal being made here about sexual sin? Why are we talking about it leading to paths of death and like real heavy stuff? What, you know? we've all heard people say, well, sin is sin, right? Why, why do the warnings seem more frequent and forceful in Proverbs about the dangers of sin that is sexual in nature? Well, one potential answer is it because Solomon, who wrote much of this, experienced firsthand how destructive this type of sin is and how far it can pull you from God's will for your life. That's very possible. Probably, I would say it's even probable that that's the case. But we need to understand it is not only Proverbs that makes a distinction between sexual sin and all others. If you write this down, if you go to 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality, for every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral man sins against his own body. And do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore glorify God with your body. Did you hear what I said? Flee sexual morality. We got that part, right? You got to have that Joseph spirit up on you. When Potiphar's wife started rubbing up on him, he said, woo, no, I got to go. That brother ran. Some of y'all need to get physical with your flee from sin sometimes. We we take it, I mean, if it leads to the path of death, right? Whatever your, whatever movie monster scares you the most pops out the closet. What are you going to do? sit there and hang out, just kind of see what happens? No. For me, it's the predator. That dude is terrifying. He's got the triangle laser tracker. Man, the dread things. Arnold is the man that he took him down. That's all I got to say. But we need to understand that this is serious, and we need to to flee. That's the word. Flee sexual morality. Why? Why? Because every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral man sins against his own body. You see what just happened there? What was that? That's called a distinction. And what we heard was every other sin was in this hand, but sexual immorality was in this hand. Okay? There's a reason the warnings seem more frequent and forceful around sexual sin. First of all, we need to acknowledge that it's different. Let's, let's say that, okay, when, okay, there's a couple of motivations for when people say sin is sin. Let's just deal with that for a second, real quick. One, it may be that someone is really trying to encourage somebody about the reality of the grace of God, right? That the grace of God is so infinite, that ever-flowing fount of the perfect blood of Christ that washes away sins, God's grace is not more taxed to forgive a murderer than someone who steals a piece of gum from the corner store. If you have an infinite amount of grace coming from an infinite God, what's, you know, infinity minus anything is still infinity. I'm getting out of my realm on math here, but that held up, right? Math folks? Yeah, okay, good. That's, so in that way, yes, that's true. Sin is sin, but that does not mean (laughs) different sins don't have different consequences here in this life. They do, right? Just a simple look at, Human laws helps you understand that principle. Jaywalking and murder, different consequences, okay? This is also true when it comes to these things. So, here's, here's the thing. <clears throat> Did I give you the other reason? No. Sometimes you might be, somebody might be really trying to encourage someone about the reality of the grace of God. On the other hand, sometimes people are saying sin is sin, because they think, I just played Monopoly with my kids this last, last week. You remember the get out of jail free card in Monopoly? By the way, I crushed them. I had <laughs> houses and hotels everywhere. Lucy almost cried. I had to explain to her, you know, it's just the game's okay. But uh, yeah, y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all want to um, try your hand at some Monopoly, give me a call. But there's a get out of jail free card. And that, some people use the phrase sin is sin like that. They think, they think if they pull that thing out, well, if, if all sin is sin, then my sin no greater than your sin. And so then, what, what are we even talking about? And what they're totally missing is the reality that God's people are called to judge one another as an act of love, to look at the fruit on one another's tree, to help prune one another, to point things out, right? Not to harsh judgment, but as a perpetual effort in spurring each other on to love and good works. Okay? So don't run around with the sin is sin thinking that means now we don't have to talk about yours. (laughs) Okay? It doesn't work that way. Amen. Here's the thing. Many times as humans, we we can't get our story straight. There There are many who will say, something to the effect of, what is the big deal? Why are we talking about death paths and destruction and that? I mean, what is the big deal? It's just sex. As if the Christian sexual ethic is is making it into a bigger deal than it should be, right? But then, take the very same person, and, and if you say to them, well, I mean, if you want, if you really want to follow Jesus you can't have sex unless you're in a covenant marriage, then oftentimes they'll, they'll act as if you're denying them some essential and intrinsic part of human flourishing and happiness to say that. Okay, so which is it? Is it no big deal or is it a huge deal? You, you can't have it both ways. See, Christianity doesn't see sex as bad. We see it as so powerful and important that it has to have boundaries, right? Right? Fire in a fireplace is great, and it has a bunch of practical benefits, but if it spills out of the fireplace, it's going to jack some stuff up. Christians are taught to view sex the exact same way as fire in that regard from the scriptures. That is our view. It is powerful. It's important. It has a purpose, and that's really the question we need to ask. What what is the purpose? What are the practical benefits of this physical intimacy gift that God has given to husbands and wives? We get a clue from some specific instruction about it in 1 Corinthians 7. Let me read this to you. Verses 3 and 4. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So what we see and these instructions is, is a complete reversal of how it's often thought. That in coming together in covenant marriage, there is a commitment that creates a trust that allows each spouse to yield themselves completely, in this physical sense, to one another. And that, it leads us to this understanding. It's a very important thing to get a hold of. Sex is meant for giving, not getting. Let me say that again. Sex is meant for giving, not getting. It is meant to be a pinnacle of the gospel ethic that Jesus taught us. It's an example of the, of the same thing that Jesus showed us in his life and death, that humans flourish best when we reorient ourselves away from being selfish takers and instead live as generous givers. Sex is one of the most powerful ways that that principle plays out in the human experience within the context of covenant marriage. Sex is meant to be a gift given between a husband and a wife, not a way to get gratification from someone else, which unfortunately is much of what it becomes outside of that safe boundary of marriage, where two people have not only committed just to stick together when it's beneficial mutually, but they've committed for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to be co-patriots and partners in this process of pushing one another closer and closer to Jesus. Hopefully, that's what that marriage was about. Hopefully, that's what people have come to the table understanding is what they're there to do. Sometimes that's a lesson learned along the way. Many times even if you think you understand it beforehand, you really don't, right? (laughs) Let's just say that. Uh, It's it's a flower that continues to unfurl, planted in the soil of covenant, very importantly. And this this idea that the purpose and the practical uh, reality of what what sex is, is and is supposed to do, That's just part of the reason that it is such a big deal. It is a a big deal. It's not just a trivial thing. And, And Satan has twisted and perverted the beauty of what sexual union was intended by God to accomplish in his creation. He's twisted it, and the results have been devastating. Most of you probably can think of examples in your own personal life of how that's true. How the fact that Satan has twisted and And perverted what God intended for sex to be and for sex to do, and used it to pull people away from God instead of reflect the goodness and glory of God. Okay, that's just part of the reason. When these verses talk of of sexual sin leading to death, it's it's really a specific application of a broader principle. Okay, so here he's saying when you if you, you get pulled into this enticement and and let me, let me just read it again. Her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. And so here it's talking about specifically getting pulled into sexual sin, but that's, it, it's, that's a specific example of this broader principle because Romans 6.23 says that the wages of all sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise be unto God for that part. Amen. So here we're, see, we're seeing specifically in, in this, this application of this broader principle, okay? All sin leads to death. But this this whole series of thought in, in the entire proverb, it's about the enticement of sexual sin and then the death and destruction that results. And and that that specific example, it's it's helpful because it kind of, I think, <clears throat> I think sometimes. I think sometimes Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. I think sometimes that, that remains a little bit ethereal for us. Like sometimes we can't connect the dots of like, okay, well, how does that? This, this hones it down. It's, for, for many of us, we, we can understand with vibrant real life examples how the, the, the twisting and the perversion of the good gift of sex leads to destruction and drags people away from God who is the source of life, right? That's what I'm saying. It narrows it, it helps us to understand. But the broader principle... Is, is true and it's and it's important and so seeing this and thinking about this this way hopefully it, it helps it helps to reframe our whole way of thinking when it comes to God's wisdom and what he calls us to avoid. Let me read you verses one through eight again just real quick Again brother Adam, I'm not trying to trample over what you did brother I, I just need these to get where I'm going It says my son if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to my wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice. And he preserves the way of his godly ones. See, I have an analogy, hopefully, that will help us understand this. So um, I I need a brave... Let me see here. I need... Mike and Trish Taylor, I need you. Come here, please. I need your help. Sorry, you're in the middle, at eye level. Adam, would you bring that to me, please? I also know they won't sue me if this goes bad, so... (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I shouldn't be too sure. Okay, all right. Pops, you come over here. I need you right here. I need you to turn around this way. Actually, no, you turn this way first. Close your eyes. Keep them closed for a minute. Yes, Whatever. whatever you're excited about, just believe that's what's happening. Just stay right there in your happy place. Okay, I need you to hold that. You guys, you guys are all sick, man. What you think is going to happen is not going to happen. What you're all hoping will happen is not going to happen. I said close your eyes, man. What are you doing? Okay. I need this behind your back. Okay. Right there. Okay. Now, you can turn around after I push you over. What's wrong with your leg? I went to sleep. <laughs> hey, I didn't. If you, Just my leg, if you, <laughs> that's, your eyes are open. That's why you got picked for this. Okay. So what am I doing other than distracting all of you from the point of everything? Cause now there's cake. All right. I'm trying to show you this principle of, of sin. The proverb talks about sexual sin leading down to the path of death. Romans six talks about the wages of sin is death. Okay. And I'm talking about the fact that we need to reframe our thinking. Oftentimes we don't see that. Okay. We don't think about it that way. All right. So here's, here's what I want you to do. You hold that out like you're offering that to him. Now you, now you go get it. Don't make me pass out. No. I'm not even squeezing you. OK. All right. All right. Now, how many people think about God? Easy. How many people think about God is that He was me in that scenario that there's some good thing, some tasty treat, that they, if they could just get to that, life would be better, and that God is holding them back from that thing, keeping them from something that's going to make their life better. But what they can't see is what's back here. What they can't see is that all the time, sin is waiting with that blade, and as soon as you touch that thing, out comes the blade to make the cut every single time. And what we need to do is understand that even from our perspective, he can't see the blade. And sometimes what, what we have to do is just trust that God has said, that's not good for you. You may not understand how that's going to lead to death. You may not understand why there's a blade connected to that cake, but I'm telling you right now, if God has said it, it's because he knows. And it's because he's true. You're going to have to decide who you believe and what you believe. Okay. You don't get to smash that in his face and you don't get to cut him. Okay. Also, This is up for grabs after service, so. Actually, you guys want it since you were so brave. Give them a hand for coming and helping me. Here. Let's put this away because you guys would just look at it the whole time if it's up here. 2020 attention span. It's amazing. Okay. All right. You understand what I'm talking about? You know why the cake and the knife was there and the whole thing? That's what, that's, what, that's what the Bible's trying to tell us. It's what it's trying to get us to believe all along. If God puts a boundary in place, it's because he's a good, benevolent father that knows more than we do. He sees the blades we can't see. Amen. Let's look at verses 20 through 22. So you will walk in the way of good men. Remember, so let's just recap, seek for wisdom, seek for what God provides, knowledge, understanding, discernment, it's like silver, seek for it, because God guards and is a shield, right, when I, when I had Mike up here, really, we, we, we see God as holding us back, but really what God's doing is standing in between us and them, standing between us and the danger, he's a shield to us, and that's what we need to believe. That's, and, and we need to be thankful for that. I don't know how many things he's kept me out of, how many blades he's kept off of me that I, didn't even, I wouldn't have seen coming. Seek for wisdom. God guards and pre- preserves those who have that. If you do that, you will avoid the man of perverse speech. You will am- avoid the adulterous woman and all of that enticement. Really, it's, it's just specific examples for all this kind of sexual sin. And, and let's, let's not limit that to, you know, somebody having to be physically present. There's all kinds of ways to get pulled into the enticements of sexual sin, especially these days, right? That stuff leads to death. But if So now he's returning back to, if you do what he was talking about at the beginning, seek for wisdom, seek for understanding on what, what he's telling us, then you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land. Now, this this talking of land, we might you know we're well okay, that's that's cool. Um, in the land, right? For for a person in this time, that the land was very much tied, especially for the people of Israel, the land was tied to God's presence and God's blessing. Remember, God was promising His people a land, a place where his presence would be and where his blessing would be. And so really that, that land is analogous to relationship with God, connection to God. And so if we read it that way, the upright will be connected to God, and have the blessing of God, be in relationship with God, but the wicked will be cut off from those things. And again, I told you that it's very important that we interpret scripture with scripture. And so we know we should, as, as, good, as good gospel-centered bible reading jesus loving people we should see that when you when you see the idea of walking in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous we know that the the only way to to walk in the way of good men is to follow the one good man and that the path of righteousness it leads us directly to jesus we know friends because jesus came and let us know that righteousness is never attained by obeying a list of rules and avoiding a list of things not to do. Righteousness comes by faith. Abraham was made righteous by faith. We today are made righteous by faith. We stand right with God. That righteous path, it has everything to do with coming to the humble acknowledgement that I can't attain righteousness on my own, and that what I need is to be given righteousness as a gift, and Jesus has made that possible. Jesus came and walked that perfect path of wisdom, the perfect path of righteousness. And then he stepped in, took the punishment we deserved in our place for our sins. He rose from the grave three days later, victorious over sin and death and all the wickedness and perversion and destruction that they wrought. And so I praise God today that we don't have to read Proverbs 2 and think that we must scurry around to find the way of wisdom ourselves, and then once we find it, walk it perfectly, and then hopefully we'll be called among the good men. Hopefully we'll be called among the righteous. What Jesus has shown us is that the way of wisdom is not going to be us getting to some place of, of perfection on our own, but the way of wisdom, the path of wisdom, is a path directly to him, to his feet, to bowing low before him and acknowledging, I can't be righteous on my own. I am not wise on my own. I cannot do it on my own. What I need is grace and mercy from a God willing to give it to me. And friends, I got good news for you. We have that kind of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. May we live in light of these things, May we understand that God's boundaries are always benevolent and for our good. And may we seek to walk the way of the one good man for his glory and for our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the book of Proverbs. Thank you for the practical wisdom. Thank you, uh, Lord, that you tackle things in your word that might seem uh, off color to some folks or that it would be a matter of impropriety to bring these things up in mixed company. But I thank you, Lord, that the book of Proverbs is leading us to talk about real things and that that's okay. That God, you don't don't want us to be in the dark. You don't want us to just kind of float around in some disconnected uh, spiritual plane all the time, but there's real life, practical, absolutely just real deal stuff that needs to be addressed that we need to apply wisdom to, that we need your understanding for. And I thank you that you've provided it. Lord, please help us to believe that when you say something leads to death, it's not just that you're trying to keep some good thing from us, that that's never what you're doing, that you always have something better. Thank you, Lord, that you are the greatest of all things that we can seek for. Thank you, Lord, that you offer life and hope and peace and joy, contentment, that there is pleasure forevermore Pleasure far beyond what we could ever even imagine in this life. And God, may, may, we, may we stop being like, like foolish children, settling for making mud when all the time, God, we could have something far, far greater. Lord, please help us quit eating junk out of the garbage when you've invited us to come and to dine at your table. Lord, we know we're prone to that. We ask you to forgive us. Forgive us for choosing lesser things. Help us to believe that your word is good and true for us. God, I pray over this congregation that, Lord, we would be able to talk about these issues, not just be able to understand them for ourselves, not just be able to walk out this path for ourselves, but there are people I know that are staying away from you because they don't understand the truth of these things, because they think you're just trying to keep them out of something that they perceive as good. But God, help us to be able to articulate why you're the best thing and what you offer is far better. Lord, help us believe it first and help us be able to speak it with conviction. Lord, help us as we are ambassadors of your gospel to be skillful at removing barriers for people. Help us care about that. God, I pray that you would stir a desire in the people of Love City Church that they would be praying, not only for opportunities, but for your help, the guiding of your spirit, that you would take hold of their mouths and use them to knock down the things that stand between people in you. God, may we wholeheartedly believe that whatever is broken in people's lives, what they ultimately need is to be connected to you. That whatever's dead in their life, what they need is to be connected to the source of life, and that is you, King Jesus. We love you, and we magnify you. We exalt you alone. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio.